All right, well, we'll go ahead and get started. Hi, guys. My name is Doug Fletcher. I'm with Fletcher Safety Consulting, and welcome to What's the Hazard? This is a podcast for safety professionals by safety professionals. Uh, it's been in the works for years now, and we're finally getting it, uh, getting it together. And so, first of all, I'd like to thank Pat and Jill for helping us out with that, man. Thank you very much. We are excited to, to finally be recording some information. Uh, the podcast, as I said, is intended for safety professionals, new safety professionals, people that have been doing it for a while, and probably even small business people that don't have a safety professional on their staff to turn to. Um, we, we just, we've been thinking about this for a while. We're just looking to, uh, for a, a mechanism to provide you some information. So um, we're going to get started. My guest today is a good friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other probably 20, 25 years. I don't know exactly. It's been quite a long time. Interesting story. I actually, when I went to work for OSHA, gosh, in the mid-90s, uh, I was hired with two young women. Uh, there were three of us that came on staff at the time. And one of them turned out to be Jeff's wife, Denny. She was actually an OSHA compliance officer uh, for a short period of time until she came to her senses. And and I met Jeff through her, and uh, and he and I have been working together as colleagues for probably 25 years now. So Jeff Springer, um, he is what we call in the business uh, subject matter expert. He's the guy that we turn to here in this area, Nebraska specifically, but probably regionally. He's the guy we turn to when we have questions about fall protection, uh, among other things. And so, uh, Jeff, thanks for being here, man. I know this is uh, this is new to both of us. Um, I'm really excited about it. I know that you and I will probably speak on many occasions over the next few months or years. There's so much to talk about, but just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got into the safety profession, and we'll just go from there. Sure, Doug. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been a long road for me. I, in college, had a tough time figuring out what I wanted to do, <laughs> and so ended up after... Starting off in business, heading into environmental science, quickly found out that um, as I was doing an internship here in Omaha, the gal looks at me across from the desk and says, you know, we're not hiring. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, speaking to my wife, I have to go home to her and tell her that I don't have a job. So I started looking and started doing some consulting uh, with another company here in Omaha that was helping... Um, local companies with their uh, fall protection programs, really got interested in that, got on with a local distributor here, and from about 2000, or I'm sorry, 1996 to 2006, I worked for them, and what I did is traveled around, helped the companies, whether it's construction companies, manufacturing companies, with their fall protection programs, mm -hmm. really enjoyed that, felt like I was making a difference, because when I was in college, I thought, you know, I'm a tie-dye-wearing, mm -hmm. tree-hugging, I got to change the world. So it's it's funny how things work out and how, you know, how did you end up here? Yeah. I ended up here. My heart wanted to help the community. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason that I'm here today and uh, want to well, specialize. Let, let, me, let me comment on that, man. Um, it's interesting. I think I think as we go through these episodes and we talk to other safety professionals in the area, we're going to find that many of us found our way into this profession somewhat by accident. You know, I mean, no cl cliche or no pun intended, right? I mean, I had no interest in, I didn't know what safety was when I first started in this industry. doesn't sound like you really had that in mind either. And I think at least for our generation, the people that have been doing it for a while, that's probably going to be the case. But you know, I was going to save this for another episode, but the reality that I have found is that this is an incredibly rewarding profession. I don't know if you feel the same way, man, but um, even though this is not what I really had in mind when I was looking for a career, and I've been doing it for probably 32 years now, uh, I love it. I absolutely love it, and there are incredible rewards to be had from this this gig, man. So Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and like I said, I... I wanted to do bigger and better things with my life, and then I'm just looking for a job. <laughs> right. Like, I have a house and a kid, and I need a job. My wife's oh, going to kill me. Yeah. So that, you know, after getting into that, and then I guess for me, going to that next stage, I didn't feel like, I felt like I was making a difference, 
but I wanted to make a bigger impact for some mm-hmm. of these companies. Uh, met a guy called Jay Petrie, he lives in mm-hmm. St. Louis. He worked um, with Mark Damon, which a lot of people know oh, Mark yeah. Damon. He's been Absolutely. around in the fall protection world, uh, probably into the 80s, and sat on different uh, OSHA standard boards and stuff. Mm-hmm. So going to work for him was, I mean, like going to work for, you know, the guru of fall protection and then mm-hmm. Jay the same way. You know, in that pressure, I really had to step up because I remember being at a training with Jay December of 2016 or uh, 2006. And he said, hey, do this next training. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I froze. I'm like, I'm not ready. Well, you're going to be doing this in two weeks. I'll never forget that training out in Holdridge. Uh-huh. I'm doing a, tra- a bunch of trainings for them. And cotton mouth and sweating and then afterwards the safety people said hey we got to talk to you and i'm thinking they're going to tell me how disappointed they were and they said hey we're hiring for a trainer do you want to how happy are you where you are i said i just started and that gave me the confidence to kind of move forward and you know when you're um knowledge is power and i had knowledge and was gaining it and you know so that's what i do i'm a consultant i'm a trainer at the end of the day, I want to help companies make improvements. We all have one goal. Mm-hmm. That goal is making sure everybody gets home to their families safely at the end of every day. Right on. Yep. That's it. And so you're with PMG, right? Correct. I'm, yeah. Process since, marketing Since 2007, group? yeah. Okay. Uh, and I've been imposing on you for years, as you know, man. I mean, most of my clients, if they haven't contacted you, they know you. I've given them your contact information. Uh, I'm a safety and health generalist, so I know a lot about a few, well, a lot of different things, but I am by no means an expert. So when we reach a point where we need expertise, I usually have them call you and bring you in. Uh, and, and you have never disappointed, man. You're always, you're always willing that. to help me whenever I call. I, pre- uh, I appreciate that immensely. I hope you realize that. But so as um, I know, we're not going to get into the details of fall protection today. We talked a little bit about what we were going to talk about before we started. And I think fall protection is at least two or three episodes in and of itself. So we will save that for another time. Um, but one thing I think is unique about your role in this is you, you're kind of a, you're a resource to this entire safety community. You know, you're out there, you're probably working with dozens and dozens of different companies all the time. And I've, you know, as is true with most safety professionals in my experience, you're incredibly generous with your time. Uh, it's always hard to, you know, I think sometimes people don't realize that this is how you make your living. They just think you are this endless font of information and they just keep, and I do it too. I'm just as guilty, but they call you all the time. So how does, how does your business actually work for those people that don't understand? I know you're not a salesman. You're a technical specialist who is well, you know, and that's tough. That's what somebody asked me. For you to ask me that now, I'm kind of struggle with words because what we do is different. I just told you I was a consultant, a trainer, fall protection specialist. But then people are like, well, how much does it cost to bring you in? Nothing. I do this. That's what I'm hired to do. We work for manufacturers. Those manufacturers pay us for the products we sell in the states that we represent. Okay. So I work for Guardian Fall Protection as one of them. Um, everything that ships into Nebraska for me, North and South Dakota, that we get paid a commission, a single-digit commission. And it adds up, of course, at the end of the day. But how this works is I come in and help people, and then I'm honest with them. Hey, listen, if I have a solution that that fits your needs, I need you to purchase that for me and be very specific because I've mm-hmm. lost out on some deals. They buy it from some guy in Florida. That doesn't do me any good. Right. My counterpart right. in Florida is getting that you know, commission mm-hmm. check. So right. it, it actually works out very well because if I was a consultant, I'd have to charge them to come in there mm-hmm. an hourly well, rate. Exactly. Exactly. So it actually, They'd be paying up front for it. You think about it, they're going to get this anyways. It's kind of like on the opposite end of that spectrum. You, you take care of these safety issues before something happens. And then you don't have to pay any OSHA fines. But otherwise, you're paying the fine and then getting the equipment. Mm-hmm. With, with this whole safety culture that we're talking about, if you, know, you make these improvements little by little, then you don't have to worry about those hazards and paying fines. Mm-hmm. And um, as I said, and I'll keep saying, people, everybody gets to walk home safely at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, man, we, we, I mean, to be quite honest, you and I talk about this stuff all the time, which probably sounds incredibly boring to most people. But 
we get together periodically, have coffee, and just talk about how things are going out in the community and safety and things like that, um, which I always enjoy and, and benefit from. Um, I just think that, and we have talked about this, but this profession is so broad and so complicated that it's almost impossible for one person to do this by themselves. Uh, in fact, I, I've never met any safety professional, and I've known hundreds. I've never met any safety professional that knows everything about all of this stuff. And so one of the reasons for this podcast is to provide information and networking and resources to safety professionals that are interested in continuing to learn and continuing to grow professionally. Um, you've always been a resource for that. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting is that you see lots of different companies, man. I mean, you, you rep for industrial solutions, construction solutions. Is there anything that you see in common from company to company um, with regard to good safety programs? Um, you've probably seen great safety programs, crappy safety programs, and everything in between. Are there any commonalities with safety, good safety programs? Well, I think having that base, you know, you've got OSHA with the regulations. That's a base for everybody to go off. But, you know, the difference that I think a couple of the big differences I see are the cultures. I've listened to people that have come to our group and they're company-wide, their safety program was terrible. They couldn't retain employees. And I think a lot of people are going through that right now. But having a solid culture and letting people know that they're part of a family, they're a part of something bigger than them, making them you know, feel included. Mm -hmm. And then the other big part of that is um, making sure upper management has got to buy into this. Everybody's got that in their mission statement. Oh, right. safety's number one. Right. Is it really at the end of the day? Is it number one? Are they putting money where their mouth is? Are they investing in the training they need for their employees, the equipment that they need, and setting, you know, annual budgets for this? Everybody has that stuff, but are they making the improvements as quickly as they need to? Mm -hmm. Well, just setting themselves up up for success. I mean, as you said, this is the this is the business where if you put your money up front, uh, you know, you're buying equipment, you're training your employees, you're you're identifying hazards and making corrections in your workplace. If you're doing that up front, making that initial investment, the savings long term in pain and suffering and OSHA citations and, you know, medical bills, whatever the case might be, is probably incalculable. I don't I don't know how you'd put a number to that. But and, and I didn't want to be I didn't want to put you in a position to say this. But in my experience, as a 17 year OSHA person, as a, I've been a consultant now for nine years um, in two different capacities if, people's, if people aren't willing to invest in their program, they're probably not having much success. I mean, there are certainly things you can do culturally um, to promote a positive approach to safety, but ultimately at some point you're going to have to spend some money. And I know people don't want to hear that necessarily, um, and I'm not trying to promote your pro – I mean, I want you to – I mean, but if you're not willing to commit to this in the form of time and energy – and money, resources, it's not going to work, man. It's just Well, I'll tell you what, a couple of things come to mind. One is um, a couple of owners in a you know decent-sized business here in Nebraska, OSHA was in there every year, and they were getting fines every year. And I heard a comment that they said, it's part of doing business. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Part of doing business, fix the stuff that needs to be fixed, create a better culture, OSHA is going to see that you're making a difference. And most of you guys, it's not like you're coming after them. You're there for a reason. You know, so, you know, getting that buy-in from the management, and it's a terrible way to look at it. Mm, I you agree. know, OSHA is coming after me. It's part of doing business. I agree. You're starting to see that swing, though. I'm starting to see a lot of companies out there that are now finally seeing, you know what, we're going to have to do this anyways. And it's, Doug, it's not just OSHA's going to find us. Right. I can't imagine something going wrong. I can't imagine personally. I, I mean, I've gotten phone calls before where on the other end of the line, they're like, hey, my guy fell, we're suing you. And I'm like, oh gosh, I'm in the wrong profession. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. But, you know, after being in this long enough, find out 
this like the equipment that I sell doesn't fail. A good program doesn't fail ninety five percent of the time. So oh, if they yeah. did, if they did all this stuff up front. You know, pertaining to fall protection, I always tell people, if you inspect the equipment, you use the right e- equipment for the job, and the employees are trained, I mean, that covers 95% of the mm-hmm. stuff that could go wrong. So mm-hmm. if you're doing all that stuff, dot and I's and cross and T's, you you really uh, limit the issues that you're going to have. Oh, no doubt. That's true. I would agree. I would agree. It's not quite as complicated sometimes as people make it. And I, I would also agree that I've seen the attitude toward culture change over the last 30 years or so. I mean, uh, at one time there was a safety person and it was their job to take care of safety. Everybody else's job was to make widgets or do a, whatever the service was. And that individual's job was to take care of the safety stuff. Uh, and don't bother me with that, you know, and, uh, that just doesn't work. I think we've all seen that this is, you know, a top down and bottom up, uh, responsibility. Um, and, and companies that are successful in business in general, that are competitive, high quality, high producing companies, all have good safety programs. I mean, they are, they are intertwined. They're, they're not separable, you know? Well, it seems like, um, you know, you bring that up safety. It was different in the eighties and nineties, every decade. That's the beauty of it. Everybody always asks me, is it getting better? I'm like, it's getting way better. There's still room for improvement, but you see these companies now, it used to be the one person in the plant was in charge of safety. It's not like that anymore. Right. Actually, we have some friends in this community that we're a part of. They manage safety for their facility, but it's um, their programs are even, I don't know if they're written and stuff like that, but it's run by the safety committees. Right. I've seen right. one in particular that mm-hmm. we were both yeah, just we, at recently. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and safety committees are making differences and coming up with ideas, and the safety director is there to kind of oversee that. That's how it should be. He should be a manager of their safety program. Just kind of facilitate things. There's let, no let question. Let the employees run those. Well, it's like a coach on the field. Absolutely. Same thing. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Um, safety committees is going to be a topic for a, an episode coming up very soon, and uh, I think that is as you said, I mean, when, when a, when a high functioning safety committee in a company is working, they can accomplish so much and take so much burden off the safety manager's, um, shoulders. Uh, I really, you know, when, when you see one, you know, when you see a good culture, it's really hard to define, but you know it when you see it, you walk into a facility or onto a job site where, um, emphasis has been given to safety and the employees have been empowered in the safety program to participate, you can tell immediately. And I, I'm not sure it's easy to define. We, we use cliches all the time in this industry. You know, uh, there's a lot of acronyms and there's a lot of cliches in safety, but culture is a term that, um, you know, has kind of come into common use over the last five or 10 years, probably. And it's something that you can really sense when you see it, where the employees feel like they are appreciated, they're part of the program, and safety committees are a great way to do that. And uh, yeah, this company that you and I are both doing some work for, uh, they've made a 180-degree turn in their approach to safety. Unfortunately, it was driven by a fatality a few Mm -hmm. years ago, and that's always incredibly tragic um, and unfortunate. That's what it takes, but... I think once they realized that they needed to make changes, they were all in. And, and I think we both agree that they've made some incredible changes. And, you know, and uh, that's from the plant manager down. But really how they've done it is by just involving employees, getting them into the program. And you know what? I mean, um, the safety director there didn't try to take on lockout, tagout all by himself. I mean, I don't think anybody does anymore. At least the smart ones seem to use other resources, right. whether they're using us or using somebody else, you know, to tackle lockout, tag out by yourself. And I know a company that recently looked at doing lockout, tag out for their entire facility. And it was going to be a lot of money to have somebody come in and do it properly. So they decided maintenance says, hey, we're going to do it. Um, and all of a sudden, maintenance, where are you at on that? We haven't even started. We're too busy. Okay, mm-hmm. we've got to bring in somebody to do that. So, you know, to realize that and then to have that um, buy-in from upper management and have budgets set aside before something tragic happens. I think about 
there's probably oh, I don't, four, five, six fatalities relating to falls in Nebraska this year. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them are preventable. Yeah. I always say if I had a chance to do like uh, CSI on a mm -hmm. fall protection fatality, it would come down to probably uh, proper equipment training um, or inspecting the equipment. It's mm -hmm. all preventable. Yeah. Yeah, that is tragic, man. I was thinking that about that sitting in my car before I came in today. Somebody is doing a fatality investigation right now, or somebody is calling OSHA to report a, a, a severe accident, you know, an amputation or a hospitalization, something like that. I mean, um, this is it's serious work, you know. I mean, unfortunately, the reminders of that are sometimes catastrophic, and uh, we get a little sidetracked sometimes. But as you said, I mean, the point of all this is to make sure that we're giving employees uh, as safe a place to work as we can. You Do know? you remember the days? I remember hearing stories about when they built the Golden Gate Bridge. And, and basically every million dollars uh, of the project, there was going to be a fatality. Right. They just wrote that into the budget. Basically, they assumed one per million or something. In yeah. So, so with that, they celebrated because they had less, you know, in, or fatalities. Less Is that projected. acceptable today? <laughs> you know, there's some big job sites going on here in town that are going to be here for close to a decade. Right. Thousands of people running around there. There's going to be injuries. There's right. huge manufacturing facilities. All of these projects that shall remain nameless, we yeah. can't actually utter their names. But you know what? And, and we, we know th that this is going to happen. Injuries are going to happen. Fatalities, unfortunately, will happen, but they're not built into the job like right. they used to be. And I think if everybody partnered together as we're doing, and I think that, Doug, that's why hats off to you for you. And I don't know how long ago it was or how the conversation started, if it was over a beer or a cup of coffee. And you said, hey, man, this is what I want to do. And I'm like, I'm all in. And you have these quarterly meetings. And I've been to some. I've admitted it to you. I've been to some thinking, man, I'm so tired. I just want to get home. And then I got something out of it or mm -hmm. listening to something else that I can share. Like we're sharing this. I've shared other people's stories, um, you know, with other clients. I mean, we all work together, mm -hmm. lift up this culture. And I think between that, either us, you know, we say old guys working together. Also, I'm working with more and more people that are 23, 24, 25 years I know. old. It's turning over. And you know what? Some of them, even if you come from, because I don't think any of us was, they, we were educated in safety. Oh, I didn't no. get a safety degree. No, gosh, no. Environmental science. And people are like, is that kind of safety? No, it's not kind of safety. Um, you know, we, we learn as we go, but why shouldn't these younger guys learn from us? Absolutely. Why shouldn't they know? You know what? And if they want to teach themselves, which they can do, you've got the internet, you can teach yourself to do sure. anything. Why And I always tell people, why not call me and I can tell you in two minutes what could have taken you two hours. Mm -hmm. And then what you're getting online, how truthful is that? There's a lot of misinformation yeah. out there. That, that's really an interesting point, man. I mean, you're a trainer. I'm a trainer. We've both been doing training for a number of years. Uh, there are a lot of online training options. And oftentimes, I think, you know, those, those can be useful, I suppose. I'm not a huge fan of online training personally. I mean, I could not take online training. I mean, I'm a grown, I'm old, actually. I, should, I was going to say grown man. I'm an old man. Uh, I'm a traditional classroom guy. I like somebody that knows what they're talking about standing in front of me talking to me, right? I, I just, I don't do the online thing well. And I'm not sure that this safety stuff is nece necessarily well suited to online training. There's a place for it. And I know how challenging getting all this training accomplished can be. So I'm not dismissing online training as an option uh, under certain circumstances. But you cannot beat having a guy like you or, or some of the other folks that we will talk with or that you and I interact with, you know, discussing subject matter with, with uh, students. Uh, because, you know, the experiences that you can share, the, I mean, and, and in part, much like this podcast, I mean, successes and failures. And on an, in an online class, you don't get the opportunity to hear the failures, right? You don't, nobody shares the failures. But when you're face to face like this, I can tell you the things that I've done throughout the years that didn't work. 
um, that I would do differently, um, different approaches I would take, you know, and, and hopefully we'll share those things. Well, so, you think about that too. I mean, relevant to life, you think about professors that you've had that they got, you got to make things relevant and, and keep that student awake and engaged you know, with, and for me, fall protection, it's easy, fall protection is, but you've got to, I mean, dumb jokes and stories, that makes it real for them. I'm not making it up. I'm not telling them stories that I've heard secondhand. It's all stuff, phone calls that I've got or experience that I have. So um, you've got to, I mean, think about culture today. They, they, they're looking at a TV that there's explosions all the time, you've got to, to get somebody's attention, and I'm sure there's lots of stats out there. I mean, you, you've got to be interactive. I always tell classes when I do training, this is your training. This is your time. I'm going to go through it. I'm asking you questions. I want you to give me the best answer that you have. But other than that, let's solve problems. You know, Mark Damon, from years ago, he's, he's a fall protection genius, but back then, you talked more about the OSHA standards, and I thought to myself, how am I going to match this guy? You know, I, I, I might never, but what I thought about was people need solutions. Right. I'm right. going to go out and solve a problem. They can look up an OSHA standard. Matter of fact, or they could call Mark. Some of them still do. I'm going to call Mark. He's fine. You call him. I'm going to solve your problem. Right. So getting to the bottom of what is the issue and let's, let's, um, let's solve it. All right, guys, we're talking with Jeff Springer, um, subject matter expert, uh, PMG Marketing Group, our local fall protection guy. And um, we've been talking a lot about culture, uh, a lot about um, driving a safety program in the right direction, things that it takes to make your safety program successful. Um, Jeff, let's change direction a little bit. I know we're going to spend some time talking about the technical aspects of fall protection in the future, but just for the sake of discussion, um, one of the things that I, I really want to do is explore the language of safety a little bit, right? I mean, uh, as an OSHA guy for all of those years, my, my language, my vocabulary became all acronyms. I mean, as a government employee, you know, you speak in acronyms and you, and you reference terms that are oftentimes completely unfamiliar to the person you're speaking with, but they become so second nature. One of the things that I want to do with this podcast is what I'm going to call Rosetta Stone for OSHA. We're going to tr translate some of these mm -hmm. terms into a little bit more understandable or at least define them somewhat. So I'm going to give you a few terms. Uh, you don't have to necessarily give me the textbook definition, but just you know, what comes to mind when I say a uh, competent person, for example, with regard to fall protection. It's well, a very important, this is very important in the fall protection world. Yeah, it is. And, you know, starting a little before that, um, you know, the user of goods or the guys in the field using the equipment, and then somebody managing a program, we would call a competent person, somebody, which is usually the safety director. Once in a while, uh, places use a maintenance guy. I've seen them go through some training. Mm -hmm. And then also supervisors, but typically it's the safety person. And, and how that is defined is they, they have the knowledge um, of the subject matter. They, are, they go through a more in-depth training, and they are able to stop work. Right, exactly. So, and, and I think a lot of companies parts. are getting to the part where they're saying anybody can stop work. If I see you doing something wrong, I could basically come over and tap you on the shoulder. And I say that in training a lot. I said, hey, what, how would you respond if somebody came over, noticed you were doing something wrong, tapped you on the shoulder and told you how you were doing something wrong? You're going to want to tell them to mind their own business. But that's not how it should be. You know what you do? You think about one of your kids or grandkids or whatever it is. They potentially just saved you from taking a shortcut or, or not thinking about doing something correctly. So a lot of companies are letting empowering anybody to do that. But I think a lot of people are confused when it comes to a competent person. Your employer deems you the competent person right. for your company. Mm -hmm. Getting training, I feel, is essential. Um, although it's not the end-all, be-all. I've seen people come into this. I, I think of one right off the top of my head with a construction company here locally. Shoot, he was in safety for less than six months and talking to him, I, I even told him this. I said, you know more about 
fall protection and safety overall, then guys, I've been around forever. Mm-hmm. I've been in people's offices that I was very intimidated. It was in the early days, and they've got you know certifications everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, hey, listen, we're here to talk about your fall protection program. I want to go out. I got to see how you're doing it. Oh, no, no, no. Let's just sit in here and and talk about it. Finally, I talked to him, talked to him uh, into going out on the floor, and I saw something, and I basically said, what you're doing, if that guy falls right now, he's going to hit the ground. And he looked at me like, what? That certification on his wall meant nothing. Mm-hmm. He didn't get anything from it. I don't know if he was sleeping or not paying attention or, or what the story was, but um, I think this day and age, people um, are very interested in training and, and gaining that knowledge, but that's only going to take you to a certain point. Doug, you said you know more about all the safety regulations, I don't. Well, I'm ge- I'm definitely a generalist, man. I, I know a, uh, something about a lot of different things. But a lot of Maybe safety a directors. a little bit about a lot, but I don't. I'm not really an expert in any one area. Um, I, I'm pretty strong, maybe in the OSHA regulatory side, uh, and I, I'm an industrial hygienist, so I'm relatively right. competent in. <laughs> that's a really good promotion for my business. I'm a. I'm an. I'm comfortable with industrial hygiene work. And a lot of industrial safety, but I, I know my limitations, man. I've got two good qualities. I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. I'm punctual. I'm almost always early, and I know my limitations. And I think in safety in particular, you have to know your limitations, right? I think that's important. And I think, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't admit to uh, deficiencies and limitations. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, I see that all the time now, and that's what I think is great. If my phone wasn't ringing off the hook, I'd be like, oh my gosh, everybody's become as smart as me. And I always tell people, this isn't rocket science. I don't care what mm-hmm. it is, industrial hygiene or fall protection or lockout, tagout, but you can't take away from somebody that's been doing something for you know, 25 years. I think of Jim England. Everybody knew him mm-hmm. for respiratory. And you know, there's people out there well, that how, you go to because how, of the experience. Well, how did that young guy that you just referenced, how did he get to that point? If he'd been in the profession for six months did he just throw himself he just immersed himself in the information and he did you know what he was like me when i started you know my career path i felt um so bad being behind that well in two cases i did for that distributor that i worked for i was carrying home three ring notebooks every weekend and my boss is like what are you doing i said i'm catching up catching Mm -hmm. up to what catching up to you you know way more than me and he's like you don't have to do that. I felt like it was mm-hmm. it wasn't I wasn't giving my full potential to people calling in. I needed to get them the right answers. And then going to work for Mark Damon too, it was the same thing. I felt, you know, in 07 bad calling him all the time. I taught myself. I read manuals. Mm-hmm. I I bought books. I taught myself and I'll never forget it, Doug. I don't know if it was a year, year and a half into it. Mike Mark calls me, asks me a question. I answered it. And he's like, nice work, Jeff. And I got off the phone kind of like, uh, you know, <laughs> right. like levitating. Right. Like I, I made it. I finally did it. Yeah. And all it takes, and that's the same thing that, that this guy did. Yeah, good for him. He dove into it. And I, you know, maybe for some of them, it, it's different for all of us, but there's plenty of ego still out there, but mm-hmm. I don't see it as bad as it used to be. Oh, that's good, man. You're starting to see people all play with... You know, what we're trying to create here is this culture and this partnership. Well, I, I you know, um, I, I am not a creature of cliche as much as I am a cr- creature of just shamelessly stealing other people's quotes. I love quotes and I have, I have quotes all over my wall in my office and uh, I steal them all the time. Uh, a couple I think that are germane to what we're doing is, um, and I don't know who the author of the quote is, but. I like the, the quote that we are all students and teachers, right? Um, and I think that in part, that's kind of what this podcast is about. Um, you and I, who've been doing this for years, we're still students of this profession. There is still a lot to know. And I, I guarantee that if I'm paying attention, I learn something from just about everybody I interact with professionally. They may not have a lot of experience or a lot of years in the trade, but again, if I'm listening or paying attention, I'll probably learn something from them, whether it's just perspective or informational or actually technical, 
whatever that might be. Hmm. So I love that saying, you know, we are all students and all teachers. And I think maybe I made this quote up. I probably didn't, but I, you know, again, take credit. I still shamelessly, um, safety is best done in cooperation with other people. I just don't think this is a gig that you can do in isolation, right? I mean, you need resources, networks. So, so we, we talked about this before we started, um, New safety people in particular, if you are not tied into a network, you need to be. If you're not part of a group, you need to be. If you're not part of a professional association. Here in Omaha, there are quite a few of those, but I know that, you know, you like I, I work with people out in western Nebraska, kind of in the middle of nowhere oftentimes, and they don't have access to some of these professional associations perhaps or ASSE or the Nebraska Construction Safety Professionals, you name it. There are a lot of groups. The group that you and I are part of now that we've recently started, this Midwest Safety Cooperative, um, they're out there. Uh, people need to get tied into those. you know. And as you said, I mean, you've said this a few times, we do our group you know, every other month. It's after work in the evening. And man, on that day, you've probably had a long day. You're like, oh God, I just want to go home. Mm. Why am I going to this meeting? But once again, if you go and listen, you're going to learn something. And, you know, I, I don't suppose we can expect that everybody's going to do that. But I think the people that understand the seriousness of this gig realize that you just need to continuously be educating yourself, man. So that is interesting. So competent person, let's get back to that because I want to, that, that is such an important topic. You said the two things that are critical you have to have the knowledge or ex- experience or uh, training, whatever that might be. It mm-hmm. could be all three of those things to be able to use those systems correctly, to understand those systems and to identify when there are problems arising. And then you have to have the authority to make some kind of change. So it's a two-part test. And the employer deems someone a competent person on their behalf. So when I was with OSHA, when an OSHA guy rolls onto the site and they see fall protection issues or they might be looking at trenching or scaffolding issues, the first thing they say is, who's your competent person? And, you know, the looks we used to get, people are, what the hell is he talking about? So they would ask that over, where's your safety person? I would typically, if it was a fall issue or something, who's your competent person? Wow. You know, who's the guy that is responsible for this? You know, and um, man, I th- and I think... <clears throat> As you said, people are starting to have a better appreciation for that. But back when I was in the field uh, with OSHA, competent purpose, they were just a rumor, you know? I mean, they, they, it was like the scarecrow on the Wizard of Oz. They're pointing different directions. That's him. No, I think it's him. No, it's him. Well, now, as you said, man. Yeah, there's a defined person now. And, you know, that brings to light a story. You know, when I started this, I was called in, there was a fatality in Lincoln. I'll never forget it. You know, go up on the roof and there's all these people. I'm a little intimidated. And and I pulled the guy that called me up there aside and said, who are all these people? And what can I say right now? And he's like, OSHA's going to be here anymore. You say whatever you want. And I started looking at what they did and with this horizontal lifeline. Mm-hmm. And I kind of lost my mind there for a few minutes. And mm-hmm. I felt a little bad. But, you know, you get so passionate about... Mm-hmm what is the deal? Who set this up? You can't do this. And this hasn't been inspected. And then even, and then here comes rolling up OSHA, which it it came into play because I walked down and, Hey, I'm helping them out. And, you know, it kind of aided them in the whole process of, um, they didn't know how long I had the relationship with them, but I'll never forget going back to the manufacturer I worked for at that time. And I kept telling him, I said, I'm a little confused. They kept calling that horizontal lifeline, a blue line. And I said, what don't I get? Is that one of the, you know, acronyms that you were talking about for Horizontal Lifeline? And he's laughing. And I said, what's so funny? He goes, I know you're green, Jeff, but it's, it's, it was blue. I said, it was white. The Horizontal Lifeline that was supposed to be blue was white. It was that old, that all the color it came out of, they should have never been using it. I didn't know that either. So going back, well, on that particular one. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, as I, you know, go back to if if competent person is doing what he's supposed to do, identifying 
flaws in their program, whether that be training, if somebody needs to get retrained, you know, and another really important part of that, Doug, is disciplinary policy. I always ask people, what's your disciplinary policy? Oh yeah, yeah. we've got one. And then I say, yeah, but is, is there some meat to it? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Because if you're just slapping people on the wrist, nothing is ever going to change. I've right. seen companies though, literally fire somebody they, they fired a supervisor that was there over 30 years and said, we care about you and your family that much. We're mm-hmm. going to send you home today. Right. So having... Because he wasn't using his fall protection he correctly wasn't, or you, something? He just or? went up. He just went up for, you know, two minutes to do this. And then the safety person went up and said, hey, come on in here. Oh, you're going to slap my hand. I'm sorry. You know, day without pay. And they said, no, you don't work for us anymore. Well, they just can't tolerate that kind of stuff, man. I mean, the liability... And particularly as a supervisor who is a representative of that company, you know, it's interesting. Um, we, we don't necessarily need to go far down this road, but I have two sons and one of them is a philosophy major. Okay, God help me. And um, so my older boy, he's a really smart kid. He's chosen philosophy as a major and no disrespect intended to any philosophy majors. Um, but... We were talking about, you know, I don't think my boys actually know what I do. They just know that their tuition's being paid, right? right? So um, on one occasion, he was. we were talking about safety for some reason. And uh, he said, you know, Dad, Plato said that silence gives consent. And I, I thought for a moment, I said, well, I'm not sure Plato was a safety guy. But the reality, and he was probably talking about some kind of social injustice, I suppose. But the reality is... Silence does give consent. I talk to supervisors and managers at companies about this all the time. If you see something that your employees are doing incorrectly or unsafely and you don't say something to them, you have just given them consent to do that. Absolutely. So discipline, that is a huge part of this. I mean, we can talk more about it, but I like that direction. OSHA certainly expects companies to have a what they refer to as progressive discipline program, right? Maybe a verbal warning, a Mm -hmm. written warning, a suspension and a termination. And from a legal standpoint, and I want to make it clear that we are not giving legal advice here. I'm not an attorney. I'm not qualified to give you legal advice, but from a legal standpoint, employee misconduct, the, the defense that an employer can make when one of their employees does something and they might get cited for it, their defense is basically employee misconduct. And in order to make that argument, you have to have an active, uh, effective discipline program in place. So I see a lot of companies, they don't, you know, they don't like to discipline guys or, hey, they're all friends or somehow they're related. You know, my cousin, Shecky, whatever it is, you know, there's, you know, there's just a reluctance to discipline guys. And that not only does that, you know, I mean, that perpetuates this exposure this employee is having. You're not doing the employee any favors by not disciplining them, disciplining them. And the company is at risk, man. The, the, the company is also vulnerable if you don't utilize a discipline program. So as distasteful as that might be, you have to do it. Yeah, know? nobody likes to do that. Nobody likes to discipline. But without accountability... You know, there's nobody's going to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, if we're expected to do the right thing just because or because it's in a handbook, you're absolutely right. There's got to be a disciplinary policy and there's got to be enforceable rules. Otherwise, you're you're never going to Well, you said it. Accountability, man. I mean, it is accountability at all levels. At all levels. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people are going to find out the hard way. Either with an injury, a fatality, or somebody's going to end up in court. And yeah, it's going to come down to people pointing fingers and right. everybody would do that when it comes to an accident or fatality. Yeah, you really, I mean, it has to be, I mean, the mantra used to be uniform and consistent discipline, right? So the managers are subject to the same disciplinary actions, perhaps even more than the employees. You know, they should be actually held to a higher level, truthfully, supervisors and managers. Um, I've known a few companies that if an employee got disciplined, their supervisor was disciplined as well because, you know, the belief was that perhaps that supervisor allowed that deficiency or allowed that deviation from policy or whatever, permitted that maybe through silence, frankly, you know. So um, I, th- I think that 
is a huge part of this, you know. And I think it'd be tough for a company. I think, uh, you know, it's got to come down to from the top. Right. I always think to myself, you know, and anybody does, this person could fire me. Yeah. Right now, this person could fire me. You know, the joke is, you know, you're on the phone with somebody and all of a sudden your boss calls, I got to take this. Mm-hmm. When it's your kid or, you know, your boss. Right, your some, wife yeah, maybe. You're your wife, yeah, it's <laughs> right. broken down on the side of the road, something exactly. going on. Um, but that without that accountability, and, it, you know, we're not going to get into a whole, the philosophy of parenting and accountability, but I think that that transcends to all aspects of our life and, and just safety. having respect for, you know, the rules and following them. Yeah, I think it's very important. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Yeah, discipline is a, that is a really tough one. I know a lot of people are, they have uh, difficulty with um, following through on discipline consistently. I have a client right now, they've, they've hired a, a new safety person, young guy, he's doing a good job, he is working real hard, but you know, how does a new safety guy discipline the guy that's been with the company for 30 years? You know, that is really a challenge. I mean, and you don't want to be the guy. He doesn't want to run back to the, the owner and rat out the guy and have the owner. I mean, it's just very challenging. Absolutely. You know? But given the authority from the owner, yeah, but even at that, you know, that's one thing on paper. But then in reality, you're, you're absolutely right. And being a safety director would be very difficult. You know, you want to be friendly. Everybody goes to work and wants to have friends. Right. So having that balance, but I'm telling you what, I see it all the time. Right. Um, well, I think as a safety person, um, respect is more important than friendly, you know? I mean, you certainly want your coworkers' respect. And that's probably gained more through being consistent, uh, being uniform in how you apply the rules, and holding people all accountable, you know? I mean, uh, we all want to be friends. I'm a, I, I want to, you know, I want to be liked, right? I mean, I can tell you that 17 years with OSHA and, uh, I got over that. I don't need to be liked anymore, you know, but at one time that was important to me. But the reality is I think that we need to do the right thing first. Hopefully that will garner some respect from the people we're working with. And if we happen to be friendly, that's nice too, but that's not the main point. Yep. So. No different from being a parent. I mean, too many people are trying to be friends with oh. their parents, and I think you can pull it off. I, I, you know, feel like I got good relationship with my kids, but you got to be a parent and got to have rules yeah. and expectations. Yeah. Well, so okay, we we've covered competent person. Um, that's probably a definition that is worth looking up in the OSHA regulations. And um, I would encourage everybody to do that. You know, we paraphrased competent person, and you will find that in a number of different OSHA regulations. There is a reference to competent person in a number of different standards. So, you know, by all means, go check that out or do some research on it. Um, take a, I mean, that's a really important concept, both industrially and in, the, in a construction work setting. Um, let's, let's, um, one thing I would like to do in these podcasts is perhaps offer the listeners, um, recommendations for tools or resources or websites or, or other subject matter experts that, that you might recommend. Is there anything that you use in your day-to-day work life that really, that really helps you out or anything that you would recommend? You know, I think you look at anybody's website, you know, a few of the companies that I work for, Guardian Fall Protection, Mm -hmm. their website um, but it, for that matter, any fall protection company's website has some amazing tools on it. Most commonly asked questions and, oh yeah, yeah. and, um, there's, so you, you know, you print these manuals and you've got OSHA regulations, but then there's also, um, you know, additions to that letters of interpretation mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. letters or, uh, technical bulletins mm-hmm. that go above and beyond something that OSHA doesn't address or OSHA or ANSI doesn't address. Right. So um, definitely some valuable tools there. Um, I also work for a glove manufacturer, and their website is unbelievable with resources to help you down the road of figuring out figuring the, out what glove you need. The because proper I, PPE. I, yeah. I am by no means a glove expert. Um, that is a very sophisticated 
uh, subscience, this glove stuff, Perme- permeability testing, penetration testing, uh, cut resistance, all of those things. Man, the days of just throwing on a pair of leather work gloves are long gone. And, I, and that can be actually, uh, particularly chemical resistance and things, can be really challenging. Yeah, that's a science, and that's changed dramatically over the years. Everybody's talking about and educating people because it used to go by the EN standard, the EN mm-hmm. 388, and now it's the ANSI standard. But there's different cut ratings. But even at the end of the day, does, what are the risks? And, and what kind mm-hmm. of dexterity do they need and longevity of the glove and maybe budgets? So, There's so many that go into that. But for somebody like me, I see it, whether at a nuclear power plant, a construction company, a manufacturing plant. So I kind of have an idea of what works right. where. And then I give them, I always tell them, you know, I have a glove in mind that's going to work perfect for you but I'm going to give you two or three. Mm -hmm. And they're like, why? I don't wear these gloves every day. Right. And it's funny. I've been taught many times that they pick one of the other ones. And it's like, hey, at the end, as long as they're wearing a glove that's going to give them adequate protection so they don't get a laceration, they Mm -hmm. can go home and coach football or cook dinner for their family or whatever that may be. That, Doug, that's the goal. So getting the right you know, tools in place. And I loved it. Years ago for OSHA stand down, they, they came out with a program and it was plan, provide, train. Mm-hmm. Plan ahead of the job, what are the tools that you need, mm-hmm. you know, for the tasks that you're doing, what height do you need to be at? You don't grab a six foot ladder when you need an eight foot, because then right. what, what are you going to do? You're going to take the ladder back? No. You're going to misuse that ladder. On top of that ladder. That's exactly right. Yeah. Provide the right equipment for what they're doing. And then train them, train them for the job, train them the proper use of the equipment. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, gathering um, your programs around this and giving all the right tools to the employees, mm-hmm. everybody wins. So these websites, these are all um, companies that you rep for. Guardian, what's the glove company? Uh, PI, so it's PIPUSA.com. There's some amazing tools on that okay. website. Of course, all of them have... You know, cool videos, resources, specialists like myself that you could call. So they can go to these websites, check this stuff out. They probably can get some idea what might work for them. I've said that, um, you know, probably most of these problems we can solve through a little bit of research on our own. Uh, When they get these really challenging problems, they call you for a little bit more expertise, right? I mean... They might be able to go to the website and figure some things out for themselves. Every now and then they run into a really hard one. I mean, and you get, I'm sure you get the incredibly screwed up, weird, challenging well, um, it, you problems know, from time to time. It's just easy. I've made it easy. I've told people, call me, which is fantastic. You know, I feel like a non-paid consultant mm-hmm. and, and that's how it should be. <laughs> I do sometimes too. But, but as we talked about before, I mean, it all washes out and it's easy, but I'm happy to help people, you know, that's why I'm in this, you know, it keeps me um, going, you know, what motivates me to keep going, just helping people and seeing these, you know, it's really encouraging to see some of these younger people because everybody was talking about millennials and what's going to happen with the workforce. Mm -hmm. And man, I'm seeing some really hardworking young kids Good. out there that, that, you know, want to go to that next level. And that's what another reason for this group that you formed. I think it's so important. Well, if we can get them the resources they need, well, that'll, they'll be that much better off, right? Hopefully. So what we're going to do is your contact information and perhaps these web, the websites of the companies that you rep, I'm going to post on my website. So uh, the episodes will be access, the podcast episodes will be accessible through the website your contact information and these different websites that you've just referenced. Uh, you'll find those at www.fletchersafety.com. That's my website. We'll put that up. Um, and um, they can reach out to you if they need some help. Um, if they want to speak with you directly, we'll have your email and your phone number and stuff up there or whatever you're willing to hand out, I guess. I probably shouldn't be presumptuous Oh, absolutely. Here. Yeah. No uh, those websites you just referenced, with, I think would be a great tool that we can link them up to. Um, and then, you know, going forward, I know you and I will talk again. I mean, we're going to talk in detail about fall protection systems, inspections, those types of things, training. We'll talk more about that. Um, I'm going to leave one tool with uh, the audience before we 
wrap up with final thoughts. Um, we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, culture uh, of your workplace. One of the one of the tools that I think is incredibly valuable um, and frankly, uh, I have recommended to most of my clients is a YouTube video by Paul O'Neill. Um, I'm sure you could just Google it or go onto YouTube and search it. Paul O'Neill was the CEO of Alcoa Corporation. It's been probably quite a few years ago at this point. But he has two or three YouTube videos of his presentations on safety. When he became the CEO of Alcoa, he embraced safety as the one uh, factor that he thought that everybody in the organization could get their arms around. And so he was a real advocate for safety in the workplace as the CEO of this international organization. And when you talk about accountability, he held his subordinates accountable for making sure that safety was, in fact, you know, emphasized and promoted to the degree that he wanted. And so there are some 15, 20-minute blurbs on YouTube. There's also an hour-long YouTube video by Paul O'Neill that I would encourage everybody to watch. Uh, this is something that you could show your managers, something that show your ownership or your supervision if you're having trouble getting them on board. Man, he articulates it in a way that um, is incredibly compelling. So I'm going to add that to the list. I'll put that on the website as well, a link to that YouTube video so that they can go take a look at that. Uh, we're going to wrap up, man. Any final thoughts that you would like to share before we conclude for this session? You know, one thing that I started saying, and I don't know where it came from. <clears throat> it was probably when I was doing training for a group of younger folks. Because as you get older, you don't climb that ladder the same. Right. Christmas lights, you start saying, honey, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to do this anymore. That whole ballerina balancing act when you're up on a ladder. You know, you, you fall once or you have close calls, having fun on the weekend on a four-wheeler or with a skill saw, you know, I've got lots of stories that I built up, but, but I, I started using the word, uh, be intentional. My kids make fun of me for this. They're like, gosh, dad, you're so old. Oh my gosh. And I think back on all the stupid stuff my dad said, now that I live by, mm -hmm. you know, the definition of uh, intentional is done with purpose. Before I get on this ladder, did I inspect it? Um, is it a windy day? I'm just taking that extra second, stepping mm -hmm. back. Is this safe? I'm going to go up and do work on this ladder. And, and my intent is to get home to my family later. But if I'm going to do something that is dangerous, am I going to make it home? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not worth it. And the company keeps telling them, don't do stuff that is dangerous. You've got to, you know, practice what they're preaching. Another very, very powerful thing that I heard from Dr. Kevin Elko, my brother introduced me to him. He's a motivational speaker. He helps... Um, Alabama's football program, all kinds of football programs, an amazing uh, Christian uh, 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 motivator. And he said, uh, I heard him once say, I don't know if I read it in one of his books or heard it, and he has this thing called Monday Morning Cup of Inspiration, just four minutes to kind of start off your week, which really uh, helps out. He says, be where your feet are. Right now, we're here. Be in we're, the moment, kind of. We're right here in the moment. And I tell it to my kids, and of course, they roll their eyes. Just told my daughter today, as she was, you know, looking at a golf meet tomorrow, I said, honey, be where your feet are. And she knew exactly what I was talking about. You're in school now. Focus on that. Right. We go to work. We drive to work. Focus on your driving, not on your phone. These phones are going to be the death of us. We're all yeah. zombies looking at our phones instead of focusing, you know, and the social aspect of our lives are creeping in on work. It used to be you're at work. They were pretty distinct, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm at work all day and there's no phones, there's no f Facebook updates right. no or worrying about all that no stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, to, to, to be intentional and to be where your feet are, I think that that is so important. And if everybody can think about that and think about you know, their families, before you make that decision to do something stupid, Think about whether it's your kids or grandkids, or I always tell people hunting, golfing, you know, your dog, whatever it is you love more than anything. Think about it before you make a bad choice. That's great advice, man. I, I like that. I think being in the moment, being intentional in what we're doing, it's, uh, we have a lot of distractions. 
Um, I worry about that in uh, my consultants, my, my clients' workplaces. I worry about keeping um, employees focused, uh, complacency. You know, those are, those, are, those are the things that we as safety professionals are constantly fighting. You know, keep, keep people focused on what they're doing. I like, you know, keep your head where your feet are. I think that's great advice, man. That actually would be a good slogan. I wonder if we can get that on a bumper sticker or something, you know. But That's um, probably out there. I'm, uh, I like that. I think that's a good idea. Um, I think, man, uh, I think that's it for the day. I, you know, I mean, I always appreciate your time. You know that. Absolutely. Uh, you have been a mentor to me. Um, even though you're half my age, probably. No, no, no not <laughs> but quite. I, I guess mentors come in all shapes and sizes, <laughs> man. But you have helped me out uh, over the years. I sincerely appreciate it. I hope we get a chance to do this again. And uh, uh, again, thanks for coming, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. All right, man. A Parkville Media Production.